Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to One Broken Mom. Today, like all days, to be honest, is a very important topic for me and one that I know from conversations that I've had with parents out there is important for them as well. Um, Since many of us were teenagers, the change in the viewpoint in conversations about sexuality and gender identity is staggering. I mean, what we grew up with in the 80s is so, so different in terms of knowledge, experience, and and just the the topic itself um, to what we are uh, experiencing today. Um, In the 1980s, a teenager... Um, growing up, men were dying everywhere by the thousands from AIDS. And so while we were talking about homosexuality, we weren't talking about it in a way that we are right now at this moment. So many people back then believed that there was only one choice for a man or a woman, and that was to love and copulate with only the person of the opposite sex. And there was zero deviation from this in our culture, religion, and even in science from that notion. And yet, We had men and women hiding in plain sight since the dawn of humanity, disguising themselves and their true nature. I, however, never subscribed to the it's a choice mentality, and I say that with complete sincerity. Even in the absence of the facts that were being floated around out there, there was just something in me that always told me that in everywhere in nature, there are just, there are no absolutes. There are so many deviations that occur out there that why can't there actually also be deviations in sexuality? That observation, however, was probably also aided by the fact that I had a friend whose gender had been assigned to them at birth, a little known fact to many people in our community. And so out of respect for them, I will not use any pronouns that might make it uh, a way that people can try to sort, you know, sort out the details, because honestly, it's not my, um, my position to be able to, to talk about them um, in a way that uh, others would know who they were. But back in the day, For many years, if a child was born with ambiguous genitals, the prevailing wisdom was that our gender and subsequently our sexual identity, because remember those two two things were linked in absolutes, was directly and singularly connected to what we had between our legs. And if it wasn't clear if there was a penis or a vagina, or maybe there was a little bit of both, you could pick a gender for your baby, have the appropriate modifications done, and voila. And so it was the case for my friend. Their parents were told that they could choose. And they made a choice based on the fact that they had one child of one gender, and so they wanted my friend to be the opposite. What happened later was during puberty, my friend was put on the appropriate hormones to aid in development of the gender that they were assigned, which had profound impacts on their weight and body. My friend never dated anybody throughout high school, and I don't recall them ever ever actually trying to, you know, to be honest. And then years later after college, and we had moved and grown apart, I would find out that my friend was out and gay. And I always wondered what their life would have been like if they had 
just been allowed to be themselves and if uh, allowing nature to take its course instead of what the doctors had told their parents about what they could do about the gender. And so when people talk about transgender and identifying um, with the gender that appears to be in conflict with a person's personal appearance, i.e. their genitals, I always think of my friend and my personal experience. And when I tell people what used to be the case and that story, I can see minds change already because I don't think a lot of people understood that that's what we've been dealing with up until this moment in time. So today is about many things, but it's really about being informed. And more importantly, how do we create space in our own homes for our kids in the event that as they become more aware of their true self, we have set the theater for them to come to us. And so today I have Sarah Gilbert, and she's a licensed therapist with a practice in Connecticut called Transitions Therapy, and she specializes in working with the transgender community. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for our conversation Um, I think that this is something that a lot of people will benefit from, and I'm just really grateful to share some information based on my knowledge. Cool, and I appreciate that so much. Um, So how did you get into the field of working with the transgender community? Yeah, it's kind of like a happy accident, actually. Um, When I was in graduate school, towards the end of my program, um, I was in a group project with a couple of friends, and our topic that was assigned to us was cultural competency. We had to do some presentation on that topic. And a friend of mine who was in the group um, suggested that we put a spin on it and talk about cultural competency in terms of working with transgender clients, because that was sorely missing in our program at that time. Um, And uh, I'm grateful for that, because as I started learning about gender identity and the wide array of experiences people can have, it started to make me aware that as a cisgender person, meaning that my sex assigned at birth matches with how I identify my gender, um, I realized that I had a lot to learn and a lot to unlearn. And so that kind of started my interest in this um, topic, and I started working with more trans-identified clients um, in the nonprofit agency that I worked at after I finished there, and um, I've just kind of been able to thankfully learn and um, do a lot of reading and go to trainings throughout the years, and as I've done that, I've attracted a largely um, trans-identified following in my clinical practice now. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Um, The thing that I think a lot of people too kind of stumble on when we're talking about this topic is, you know, there's gender and then there's the sexuality. And, you know, and to to be honest, when I reached out to you, um, we when started the conversation, it was really to how to talk about our kids on their sexuality and not necessarily their the, the gender identity, because I think that right now, you know, there's a lot of people that confuse the two together. But when you when you sit there and you look and you know out there in the world in the community and you say, well, gosh, I can see a person who's trans and gay, and I can see a person who's trans and not gay. They you know they have a cis relationship, I guess. And you know, and I, I said this to Sarah, so everybody listening to me before we started this saying, I'm going to stumble, uh, you know, on nomenclature and vocabulary because I'm trying to learn this as well. And so she's graciously going to help us here understand how we should be referring to this. Because I also think that when we don't know how to speak the language, it makes us more fearful to even try the language, right? You don't, um, you want to get in there. But, um, but knowing again, back that sexuality and this gender identity, these aren't the same things, even though that's what we believed they were, that they were linked together, that, you know, your gender equaled this sexual identity. So can you explain 
those two concepts for everybody, yeah. including the person struggling here with her microphone. <laughs> you know, first of all, I just want to give you credit for acknowledging that you're struggling. And I think that that's where we can open up really great and meaningful conversations for learning rather than saying, I know everything and, and what I know is the way things are no matter what. So I appreciate so much that you're starting this conversation with admitting that there are some things for you to learn as well. Um, so some basic terminology to kind of, you know, have a foundation for our conversation today. Um, when we're talking about um, sexuality or sexual orientation, we are talking about an interpersonal experience. So my label of my sexual and romantic orientation is based on who I'm attracted to. Whereas when we're talking about our gender identity, we're talking about our inner sense of ourself. So as I said earlier, I personally identify as cisgender. And so that's a term that is regarding my gender identity. So when I was born as a baby, the doctor made a determination based on a physical exam and said, okay, it's a girl, right? That was a, a label that was given to me based on my uh, perceived physical anatomy. Now, if you really get into it, there's a lot of factors that make up, you know, biological sex, but for explanation purposes, I'll just keep it that simple. Right. And so because my sense of self being that my sense of self is feminine, that matches the sex I was assigned at birth. And so my gender and my sex are aligned. And so that's how I identify as cisgender. Now, people who identify as transgender, their inner sense of self does not match in some way. It is not aligned with the, the sex label that was given to them at birth being at this point male or female as still in the United States, you know, birth certificates are usually just having one of those two designations. What's similar and different is that, as you know, gender identity is a personal experience and sexual, sexuality is an interpersonal experience. Both gender identity and sexual orientation actually exist on a spectrum. And I think that that's a really good place for us to start this conversation because that, even though it's 2019, that is not the way our society fully is um, understanding things. I think we're making some strides and that's fantastic. Um, but we have largely been socialized in a very binary society, meaning that there's two choices, male or female, gay or straight. Um, and so I think for all of us listening, it's important to be aware of the fact that that is something that we've all been kind of raised and affected by in terms of our society. And it doesn't mean, you know, necessarily that we're bad people for buying into that. It's just that that's how we've been raised up until more recent times. It has not been, you know, common knowledge that sexuality and gender identity actually exist on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's a really good first place to start. Um, and how people identify in terms of their gender identity or sexuality is, is really, you know, we should be taking that at face value. We should be in agreement that people are the experts on themselves and how they tell us that they identify is really, we should not be challenging that in any way. Um, so I guess that would be kind of where I would start, first of all, the differences between gender identity and sexuality. Mm -hmm. uh, and our label for our sexual orientation, the label itself, might change and depend on how we view our gender identity. So um, we can identify as a transgender person and as someone who is gay or lesbian, or we could identify as a transgender person who is in a, a straight or heterosexual relationship. 
Um, and then not to throw a wrench in the works, but obviously adding to the spectrum is an understanding that some, for some people there is, um, you know, it's not just a binary gender identity. There are people who identify as non-binary, meaning that they don't fit into either neat little box of male or female um, or gender queer. Some people identify as agender, meaning that they don't really identify with any particular gender identity. And similarly, in terms of sexuality and attraction, there are people who identify as asexual or aromantic, meaning that there is no interest or um, no sexual attraction. Mm-hmm. So is there, um, help me understand, I, I love neuroscience. It's one of my, you know, uh, my passions, which <laughs> makes me really exciting at dinner. Um, but I, I'm curious about when we, um, you know, it's easy to identify sex drives, you know, by the cascading of chemicals that, you know, are, you know, the brain is signaling to us and stuff like that. When it comes to this, this personal gender identity, is there correlating um, neurobiology to it that people have seen? You know, there, there is some research out there. There's not a whole lot. And, um, I know, you know, in more recent months on, on Facebook, I've seen various studies passed around and, you know, the, the label is saying like, Oh, look, you know, neuroscientists have proven that there is a correlation, but the thing to be, um, keeping in mind is that the sample size in these studies is very, very small. Um, and the research at this point, I personally, I think is too scant for me to make any huge conclusions. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is some information out there. I think certainly it merits further research, but for various reasons, when you really get into um, the nitty gritty of looking into the research, um, I don't think we're at a point where there's enough out there and enough inclusive samples of varying experiences to draw sweeping conclusions. Right, right. And that's fair. You know, and usually saturation from research takes about 20 years anyways. So if it's all emerging right now, we're probably not going to have anything that anybody's going to say with certainty at some point. And so, you know, to me, it's like, just keep an open mind, you know, all the things like, you know, will start coming out. Um, I know that when I've had this conversation and again, sharing the story of my friend and that experience growing up, um, is that it, it positions this idea in somebody's mind for the first time that just because your outward physical appearance says one thing, that doesn't mean that this internal complexity, and there's so much complexity going on in the brain, that there isn't a variation in there. Because again, there, is, there isn't anything as an absolute. There, you know, there's a spectrum everywhere. Spectrums exist in all phases of you know, biology. And um, because a lot of people still, when they think about this being, being an identification, I know one of the questions is, is are they sure, you know, are they being colluded by society or by culture? And it goes back to um, who would, who would um, purposefully put themselves in the crosshairs of society and culture, you know, by expressing that, hey, I don't fit the body, this body you look at and see as one thing doesn't feel right to me. And I want it to be different. Um, And so, uh, you know, that's why I always like, you know, if, if, we can make, you know, I don't want to call it mistakes, but changes and variations do happen. And, um, and so I, I, you know, my sense is, is that the, the neuroscience, the bio, the biological science will catch up with, um, with that kind of a a notion there. Um, I think about, you know, I grew up a tomboy, 
anybody that has, you find pictures of me, you're going to see me with short blonde hair. You're going to see me with, uh, you know, jeans, scars, dirt bikes. Uh, you know, there was, uh, you know, the, the, um, the girly parts of me, girlies, I'm putting my air quotes up here for you YouTubers, um, are, uh, you know, were scant occasionally. Um, but for the most part, uh, you know, I, I was a hundred percent a tomboy. I think if anybody would have looked at pictures of me back then and, and started asking me questions like, are you gay or are you a boy or are you whatever? In fact, I, you know, I've been called a boy, you know, growing up because I dressed and acted so much more like a boy, but yet never felt out of place with, um, with that. And so I think that that's also one of the phenomena of, you know, um, you will see, um, children still identifying outside or dressing outside of what their gender norm is, but that doesn't actually mean that they're, they're conflicted or anything. Is that, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I'm glad we're kind of on the topic of childhood because I think a lot of things that parents aren't typically aware of is that, um, you know, children can be, children are aware of their gender identity much earlier than we think they are. Um, Kids have a pretty solid sense of their gender identity by age three or four. Um, So, When I hear stories, especially of teenagers or young adults coming out to their parents, um, they're often met with that question of, are you sure? Or, you know, you're too young to know this about yourself. And the research shows, um, and and this is not brand new research either, by the way. I mean, there's, I'm, I'm blanking on the author, but this is research from the 1960s as far as how early people are aware of their gender identity. That doesn't mean necessarily that people have to come out as transgender or gender questioning at the age of three or four, um, because shortly after being aware of our gender identity, we develop an awareness of how to conform and how to avoid um, standing out in some way or how to avoid being laughed at or made fun of, right? right. Fitting in the herd, right? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. My daughter's four and she's already commenting like, well, I don't want to do certain things or say things at school because I don't want people to laugh at me at preschool, Mm -hmm. which breaks my heart and also kind of proves this point. So, you know, people can be aware of their, their gender identity really early on. And then in early adolescence, people are aware of their sexuality as well. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they have not had that awareness about themselves just because they haven't told their parents. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll hear a lot like, well, I never had any clues that, that my son was gay or that my daughter was trans. There was never, they never told me, I don't understand. And, and so I point that out to parents that, you know, kids can be really savvy about how to conform pretty early on. And for a lot of kids, it makes sense as a survival mechanism, you know, not being bullied in school, not being made fun of, not, being rejected by family members or friends. Right. And I, I, and I think that's why the parents have been asking is because they, you know, parents are aware that kids can do that. They're aware of the messaging that we're all getting outside of, um, you know, society and stuff. And that's kind of driving the question of, well, how do I, how do I show my child, you know, that that's okay for them to not have to conform and do it and do it in a way that you're not asking them straight out and freaking them out just in case, you know, they're just wearing their hair short and just in a converse, you know? Um, yeah. And so, you know, what are, what are some strategies for parents to, to kind of set that tone, knowing that kids are great chameleons and they are protecting themselves? Absolutely. So I think it starts, um, as a general process, um, I think by and large parents are trying to do their best and they're certainly, you know, trying to protect their kids. And so I think the very first step and why I started with this is 
being aware of what a binary cisnormative heteronormative society we live in because if you happen to identify as cisgender and heterosexual there are experiences that you haven't really had to ever think about um, through no fault of your own but just the privilege that you have as those identities and so it's easy to make assumptions that everybody in the world is cisgender and heterosexual right mm-hmm. so being aware of that we can begin to start to open up our conversations or our awarenesses of a spectrum of identities and we can start to talk about that at home you know even early on like there thankfully are more and more little kids books coming out for young children that express diversity in family makeup and um address the themes even of of gender diversity i mean my i've gotten a few of those books for my daughter even um so starting that conversation and creating an environment where it's just open and safe to talk about those things. Like maybe if you see a news story about someone who identifies as trans or someone who is a, an out, you know, gay athlete or, um, you know, television star or something like that, you know, just using those examples to kind of start a conversation or just, if nothing else, if your kid doesn't want to talk to you about it, just, you know, have something positive to say like, wow, it's really great that there's a diversity of experiences in the world. Even little comments like that can, can let your child know that, oh, okay, my parent is open to talking about this. My parent knows that there is a diversity in terms of gender identity and sexual orientations. And, you know, maybe I don't want to say anything right now, but I know that I'm getting a hint that it's safe to talk to my parent about that. Mm-hmm. I, I've suggested that um, some to some of the parents is like the, the ground, because I, again, the fear is, is that if you just come right out and ask, um, and that it, it creates more anxiety for a kid, especially if, um, now I, I guess what you just said though, is that they know pretty early. So if a child expresses uncertainty, let's say in adolescence, is it legit uncertainty or is it the uncertainty of, of, of feeling comfortable enough to be able to say what it is that they really have on their mind or what they're really feeling? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it could be a little bit of both, you know, for a lot of, the clients that I work with who, you know, primarily my clients identify as transgender, um, there can be awareness that somehow they're different than their peers who, again, are this cis het norm kind of um, that we see in society. They can have an awareness that somehow they're different or they feel different in their body, but they can't quite put words to it. Um, they could have a sense of being different because maybe they don't feel attraction to anybody like their friends do. So um, there can be an awareness really early on that's crystallized and very clear, but for some people there can be some kind of vague sense of otherness that maybe doesn't fully crystallize until adolescence, especially um, for trans kids um, as, as they enter puberty. That can be a time where there's a lot of revelation or distress of, oh my gosh, my body is changing in a way that this is wrong. This is absolutely wrong. I, I don't want this body. I don't want these features. Yeah. So, you know, I think opening up the conversation of just just creating an environment where it's okay to talk about it too, I think is, is much more effective because when a parent is coming right out and asking like, hey, I noticed you cut your hair really short. Does that mean you're a lesbian? Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, there, it, it, what kind of kid would feel comfortable answering that? That was like an accusation. Like, no, I just cut my hair, right? Because there's also, what we're talking about is gender expression, which can be entirely different from how we identify, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, someone who is a female, assigned female at birth can still identify as female and have a buzz cut. That doesn't mean that that person is trans. Right. So, so to ask the question that way can probably elicit no response or, you know, leave me alone kind of response, especially from a teenager. So, so I think kind of, um, you know, just letting your kids know that, hey, you know, we accept and love all identities here. And, um, you know, kids really pick up on two inconsistencies. So if a parent says like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I support the LGBT community. Um, you know, I'm totally, this is a safe space. You know, I'm all about diversity. But then they notice that you're making a homophobic or transphobic comment about someone that you see in line at Target. Kids are going to pick up on that. And they're going to, the actions are going to tell them really how safe it is to talk to you. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. I, the nuances don't escape children. I mean, their brains are wired to pick up on all those details, um, for sure. And I also often think, too, that, um, you know, as a parent, there is some degree of responsibility of, um, of calling out the inconsistencies when other people do it or the, um, the, the um, when somebody makes negative statements about the LGBT community in some way that as a parent, if you really want to set a tone for the environment for your child, that you also are willing to, to not condone that and not look away from that because even your compliance, when somebody else does it, your kids are picking that up on, I'm, this is unsafe. Like I'm uncertain. Like if you really did believe that I would think that you'd be defending that, you know, and I, now I'm, I'm afraid to bring that out because you know, you're letting other people attack other people um, in that way. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, there's a lot about the current political climate that is pretty shitty, quite frankly, right now. Mm -hmm. But it's an opportunity, just like you're talking about, as stuff is being talked about on the news, like where, depending on what day someone's listening to this podcast, where are things at in terms of the transgender military ban? You know, that comes up on the news and, and what parents comment on it, or if they even say anything at all about it, kids pick up on that. You know, if, if as a teenager, let's say you have a friend come over to visit and they're an out gay person, right? Are your parents weird and uncomfortable around them? Or do they just treat them like all of your other friends? Like that's another thing that, that kids pick up on in terms of words versus actions. So it's really important that you're just really consistent and I think also an important thing for parents to do, just like you did at the beginning of this podcast episode, is is to admit, you know, maybe there are things you don't quite understand, or maybe you don't know the right language, or, you know, you're in the process of learning because you've never had to think about this stuff before. Um, that vulnerability really goes a long way, and I think it's something that we don't think to kind of share, especially as parents. We want to be the authority on everything, right? Right. Yeah. That, long way too. Well, and I was going to say too, um, that I think a lot of parents are going to be surprised at how much more chill their kids really are about having the conversation. Um, you know, my, when my daughter started middle school, um, the, she, she, uh, had two friends that were, that were trans and, um, and they, kind of flip-flopped. One friend um, was born and, uh, you know, labeled a boy and transitioned and they, and they used middle school as like the big transition. Like, you know, they'd spent all the way through elementary school and then the families decided together that middle school is a great place to start over, you know, and, and get your, you know, reboot on life and start. And so one um, transitioned from boy to girl and then the other one went the other direction. She was, uh, you know, born girl, transitioned to, um, to boy. And, um, and it, that was like no big deal yeah, to my daughter. So I'm looking at my daughter going, first of all, they are, they are experiencing this in real time. 
it, it, it's no longer hidden or behind screens and closets and anything like that. You know, my friend, you know, my experience with my friend, I'm not sharing details because, you know, there's still a, a silence in a community, uh, you know, and it's not my right to, to pull back the curtains on all that. But, you know, many families and, and, and kids are actually okay with saying, hey, this is the new me, I'm doing this. And it's the parents, you know, and the adults that are like, wow, okay. So when I was a teenager, this was so not a thing that I had to deal with. And I, that's why I'm like, okay, what do I do here? Because like I said, the kids are, the kids are getting it more than we think that they really are and are exposed to it a lot more. They're just not really talking to us as much. And that's what I want them to do is to talk to us more about that. Yeah, I think we're in a, a really beautiful and kind of confusing time generally, generationally because I think you're absolutely right. The younger generations, this is more of a norm. Um, this is, I think, one of the good things about social media is that thankfully a lot of people in the LGBTQ community are putting their stories out there on YouTube, on you know, Twitter or on Instagram or whatever. And so they're openly sharing their experiences. So for the younger generations that are consuming this content, this is more normalized. And I think that's really fantastic and wonderful. The confusing part is this generational shift that you're talking about. You know, I mean, I was born in 1980. Like this was not something I was ever, this was not on my radar at all through middle school and high school. Like I, I knew of people who identified as gay or lesbian in high school, but that was about it. Like I didn't know anything about gender identity or, you know, transitioning in any way. So, um, you know, sometimes when I'm working with teens, the work that I'm doing is really kind of with their parents and helping them kind of wrap their heads around it and get to a place of humility of acknowledging that, you know, again, you're not a bad parent, you were just socialized in a different way. And so now there's a new understanding. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, in terms of what not to do, if I can go there for a minute. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I think one, you know, when we think about what parents should not do, if their child comes out to them as anywhere on the LGBTQ spectrum, we tend to think that, um, you know, really bad reaction is obviously one of not acknowledging, denying, invalidating, kicking their kids out. And absolutely, that is, that is really terrible and horrible. Um, but also something that I think parents don't realize that's really damaging is to respond with complete silence. And I want to point that out because I think that in the moment of learning about your child's identity, it can be shocking and that's okay. Um, but to take care to not just react with silence because then there's all kinds of anxiety that your child experiences they easily get the message that, okay, this is a topic that's shameful. My parents are embarrassed or ashamed of my identity. It's not safe to talk about this anymore. And with all of those thoughts and anxiety swirling through their head, there's a huge rift in the relationship. So, um, so I just want to kind of point that out there that um, for parents, it's really important to always remind your child how much you love them and, and, you know, to not just react with stunned silence or invalidating their identity of like, no, you're not, you're not gay, you're not bisexual, you're not trans. Um, you know, the fact that your child is telling you what their identity is, is a huge privilege. And it's an invitation. It's not, it's not an opening for you to disrespect your child, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. And, and that's kind of part of 
the point of this episode isn't necessarily for parents that are waiting or, or have seen signs or observations in their child. And now they're like, oh my God, scrambling to figure out how to, how to do this with them. But also for parents to be listening to this in, in preparation for the possibility that it's there. And, uh, you know, it may be your child and it may be your child's friends, you know? And so, you know, this, this serves as being, let, let's just become a little bit more informed. And, and so in case we ever encounter it, we have again, a, a way and a path to be able to, to address it and, uh, and to deal with it. Cause it is, uh, you know, like I said, it's not it, to me in this realm, I feel like my, my, my momentum has been much further down the path than most people, just because like I said, I can go back to never, believing any of the the stuff that was out there but definitely the speed at which the conversation has gone from no one's talking about it to holy crap everyone's talking about it and um there being a little bit of um uh you know it it, it can be decisive if, divisive and i and i mean this in the way that when people have been victimized and they've been in in a um uh, a category that has commonly been relegated to, you know, a lower standard in terms of our society and culture, you know, um, there, there is a, there's a, there is a defensiveness in there. And sometimes what I see in social media is this blasting for, you know, of people, you're not using the right pronouns, you're not using the right whatever. And, and a very, um, you know, I don't want to say militant and I'm, I'm cautious of the words because again, everything's a spectrum, including how we react and respond to everything out there in society. So at one spectrum, there's the overly compliant. And on the other spectrum, there is the, you know, attacking everybody for making a mistake in their words. But the bulk of us actually live somewhere in the middle of this bell curve going, uh, I, I'm trying, but I don't know what to say. I'm afraid to say something without it being wrong. I, you know, I don't want it to be insensitive. Um, and so, because, you know, the two extremes tend to, you know, can kind of jump in there. Um, and so I, I guess, you know, one thing that I would like to ask you is then, so you talk about the, the identification of gender being something that's very early on. So what kind of age groups are we looking at where kids have, um, that science is backing up, that kids are beginning to express that, that if, if they're at such and such age and they're, and they are telling you this, that, you know, it's not just them watching a cartoon or reading a book and deciding today, because kids do that too, right? They read something, they go, I'm going to be Batman today. <laughs> okay, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> doesn't want to be Batman. Right, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing, right? Um, yeah, so when we're, you know, Kids can start expressing this as early as age two, three, or four. Um, and what we're when we're looking at from like a diagnostic perspective, you know, for me as a therapist, I'm looking at a diagnosis um, to kind of help understand the picture and, and possible implications for transitioning. So for children, it can be as early as two, three, or four that kids are starting to really insist, like, yeah, you think I'm a girl, but I'm really a boy. I'm, uh, there's this insistence I'm a boy. And we're also looking for it to be consistent, that it's not just a day here or there, but it's consistent over time, you know, at least six months. And um, insistent, persistent, and consistent are the three markers of if we're looking at a child truly being transgender versus normal developmental gender creative, you know, experimentation. Um, more often it is, I, I will say the trend with this being more of our kind of public consciousness about gender diversity is that kids are coming out younger and younger. So probably around like middle school, um, the time of the onset of puberty, perhaps, um, it really, obviously it depends on the child's home environment and how safe they feel to kind of open up about that aspect of their identity. Um, a lot of times kids will come out to their friends first. Um, that's where it feels safer. And um, 
you know, there's so many influences, right? Like if, if the family is um, connected to a particular faith community that is really not open to the LGBTQ identity, kids learn about that pretty early on as far as, you know, if that is something that affects how their family will perceive them. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of all over the map. Um, you know, certainly research shows that, especially with younger children, the earlier that we can affirm their identity or at least kind of allow them to express their gender in a way that makes them feel more comfortable, that, that leads to better mental health outcomes. Um, you know, because if we're looking at young children, like let's say four, five, six years old, we're, we're not at a point of looking at any sort of permanent medical interventions like hormones anyway. Right. And so we're really talking about, okay, well, I'll let my child cut their hair or I'll let them go to school wearing different clothing and just kind of take, take an approach of let's see what happens, right? And, and certainly if a child is really more identifying as transgender versus this kind of normal experimentation, you'll see the child, you know, isn't, is doing better at school. They're happier. They're more outgoing. Um, their whole personality shifts um, when they're not forced to conform to, you know, you know, it says mail in your birth certificate. You're supposed to dress and act like a boy. So yes, that's, that's the thing. And, and that's, I guess, something else too, that I think is important for parents to know. Um, I know you talked earlier about like, you know, being a, the neuroscience kind of nerd. <laughs> And for me, like, I'm kind of a nerd about this gender stuff. And so I've read research. And so what I talk to parents a lot is, you know, not boring them with dull statistics, but there's there's a growing body of research out there that when we affirm kids, whether it's based on their gender identity or their sexual orientation, they have much better mental health outcomes. When when kids are in highly rejecting families, they're um, eight times more likely to attempt suicide. Mm-hmm. That's pretty huge. And that is research out of the Family Acceptance Project. If parents are curious to kind of check that out, I would encourage you to look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, when kids are affirmed, um, they make better choices about their safety, their their sexual activity. They have a greater sense of self-worth and self-esteem. And so they they have better health outcomes too. So there's a huge impact in terms of functioning at school, mental health, um, their own sense of self-worth leads to physical and mental health outcomes that are much better when kids are affirmed. And, and by affirmed, you know, it doesn't mean that parents have to be an expert on a gender identity or sexuality that may be different than theirs. It's just saying, okay, you're still my kid and I love you. And I believe what you're telling me. That's affirming. Mm-hmm. Now I, it feels like, you know, just kind of watching again, the, uh, the strong reactions, you know, um, that are happening because again, the conversation has become so much more prominent and driven to the, you know, to the forefront, um, that there's, you know, some people that are believing that like somehow this is an epidemic caused by, you know, bad parenting, you know, is one of them or the, the media, you know, is somehow driving this confusion in children and that they're really not this many, you know, people that are confused about their identity or changing their identities that this is, that this is again, culture overlaying some concept on top of them. And, you know, and too many parents are letting their kids just do whatever they want and really, you know, not forcing it in there. Um, You know, do you hear those fears from parents? Um, when when they are you know kind of they're leaning into that a little bit because they're they're listening to all the objections out there when they choose to kind of like follow the the lead that their child is taking yeah absolutely um you know and you know on one level I can understand where that that thought process might be of like why are we hearing about trans kids all of a sudden um and so what I talk to parents about is 
you know, if we really, if you were interested in researching the subject, like trans identities or the spectrum of different gender presentations is not new. It's not unique right. United States. Um, there are, you know, examples of people going back to like the Civil War, for example, there was someone who um, fought in the Civil War, I'm blanking on his name, um, who was assigned female at birth, who was a soldier serving as a man. Like, so we're going back hundreds of years. This is not a brand new concept. Um, what is new is that kids are feeling safer to open up about it sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I share with parents um, is that I have certainly, in my clinical experience, I've worked with people who are coming to me maybe in their 50s or 60s who will say, okay, I've actually known this about myself for decades. I've known this since I was a child, but I'm just now feeling safe to tell someone else. And so it is clearly not a new thing. Um, it's not a trend. It's not, you know, like, oh, a fad <laughs> on YouTube. And so now I want to be trans because that seems cool and hip and trendy or, oh, I watched an episode of Pose. So that's what I'm going to do now. No, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's times are getting better in terms of acceptance, but it's still not great. You know, like you said earlier, why would somebody subject themselves to identifying as not the mainstream, not the like cishet norm that we all expect everybody is? Why would there, there's, you know, another argument I hear sometimes is, oh, my child just wants attention. There are a lot better ways and a lot easier ways to get attention than Mm -hmm. to say I'm trans or I'm gay or I'm bi. Right. (laughs) So what I really, you know, what I, if I can, what I try to dig into with parents who say that is I try to really address the, the underlying fear and concern, because Mm -hmm. I think genuinely, as I have worked with parents, um, that's really at the root of it is that there's the initial shock perhaps because they were not expecting their child to identify this way. And what drives any sort of denial of this identity is this fear of, okay, what does this mean for my child? And what does this mean for the thoughts I had about their future? I imagine walking my little girl down the aisle when she gets married. And then now, is she ever going to get married? Because now she's identifying as lesbian or bisexual, or, you know, she's identifying as trans, you know, trans man or non-binary. So, so the work I do, if parents are open to it, is I talk about what's not being said, which is the fear and the grieving and kind of adapting to, okay, I know you expected things to go this way, but we're actually going in a different direction. And are you willing to kind of have some humility and admit to your child that you're thrown for a loop here? Or do you want to lose your kid? Mm-hmm. You know, lose your kid because you're rejecting them and, and they're extremely depressed and suicidal, or you're losing your kid because they know it's not safe to talk to you anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, is is therapy something that you would recommend when we're talking about um, gender identification and for a family that's coming through? I mean, you know, is there um, is there an ability to navigate as a family through this without the intervention of therapy, or do you think that it's a valuable a valuable part of it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think it can be helpful, even if it's you know for a few sessions in the short term. It really depends on it really depends on what the family unit looked like before this information came out, right? Mm -hmm. If the family was already kind of an open dialogue, loving, accepting, open, good communication, then chances are they probably don't need therapy to navigate this, but it can always be helpful. um, Even if it's maybe a few sessions to kind of strategize, okay, how do we handle taking, you know, this next step in my child's transition or how do we handle telling other family members? 
you know, sometimes having a neutral space to kind of hash that out is, is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, because as someone comes out, whether it's as, you know, anywhere in the LGBTQ spectrum, in some way, their family also comes out as well. These things about, okay, well, I know I love and accept you as a parent, but how, how do I manage this conversation with my 89-year-old Roman Catholic grandmother, you know? For right. Example. Yeah. Yeah. You know, communication, really, and, and acceptance, and how do we get everybody on board? And ultimately, how do we spread how do we respect the wishes of the person who has come out as LGBTQ? Because that's the most important, you know, like you were sharing earlier, you know, what I, what I noticed as you were talking about your friend is, is you were really respecting their story and you were saying, it's not for me to tell the details. Right. And that's, I think also really important for parents to keep in mind is that, um, you know, you need to have some care with your child's privacy. Like, yes, they have maybe shared this with you. That doesn't mean you're free to tell everybody else this news. Right, right. Now, one of the one of the other things that I that I wanted to talk with you about is um, is because the you know our, everybody there's more there's more around us than we've ever known before. You know, uh, many people have grown up in this world thinking that there was only two genders and you were all straight, <laughs> right? Um, and we're discovering that it is surprisingly diverse. You know, and that there are more people around us that we ever knew. Some of them are very okay with letting everybody know you know who they are and what they stand for, and some people. People just aren't yet for a variety of reasons, and that's okay as well. Um, and so the other aspect of this is um, what can we do with our, you know, with children and our own children to um, foster that openness with them? You know, I know we talked a little bit about, you know, modeling and demonstrating our belief system around it, and not just sometimes, but all the times, and making sure that that's consistent. Um, but, you know, to make sure that our, our kids are also uh, getting that language, because there are pockets of places where they're, they're probably not as exposed to it as much as, as we are, uh, maybe as adults and stuff like that. And I, I am conscientious of that. I, I, you know, I, my children, like I said, I'm very happy that they, you know, have had opportunities to do that. We do talk about this a lot in our family, but not every, not every child has that chance. And, um, like I said, we've, we've had some kids in the home that are gay and they're out to their friends, but not to their own parents. And, um, and I'd like kids to, you know, my own children to know how to be supportive, you know, in that capacity. So what are some good ways for us as parents to parent, you know, these wonderfully open-minded and open-hearted children? Yeah. So, so I have a couple of suggestions. One, um, you know, for, for the children who maybe are allies who aren't themselves identifying as LGBTQ, but they want to ally and support their friends, just kind of modeling that respect for, for privacy of their friends who are in the community, you know, and saying, you know, letting them know that, hey, if they come over here to visit, this is a safe space. They don't have to, your friend doesn't have to act a certain way or hide things. Um, and reiterating to your kids that, you know, it's not always a safe place for people to be different in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. So it's always important to have our kids be mindful of that, especially if they're identifying as, you know, cisgender or heterosexual. Um, letting them know that, ultimately they need to respect the wishes of their friend, whoever they're the ally to, right? So if their friend wants to be private, you've got to make sure your kids don't out them unintentionally. Um, and I think it's really important for parents of, you know, similarly parents of kids who are identifying in the LGBTQ spectrum to really just do a lot of listening and let, and let your child kind of be in charge of how, how they want to handle the information getting out. Um, what do they want you to do in terms of advocacy? Because for example, for some kids, 
it feels really great if they're, let's say, at a family function and someone uses the wrong name or pronouns. It can feel really great to have a parent correct that family member. And for some kids, that feels intensely uncomfortable because you're drawing attention to the fact that they are, you know, transgender and that might open up a whole can of worms and discussion and questions that they don't want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So for parents of those kids, it's really important to let your kid tell you how they want you to support them. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of listening instead of doing, which I think as parents doesn't really come instinctively to us of kind of letting our kids tell us what they need and want. Um, You know, I think out of really good intentions, parents can be really overzealous and, um, you know, they, they have a, an idea in their head of how to show support and, and affirming for their child's identity. And it's really with great intentions, but sometimes it's completely out of line with what their child wants and needs. <laughs> and I'm laughing only because I, I, what I see is I see the parent with the rainbow pride walk t-shirts yeah. going out there with the signs, you know, my kid is gay or whatever it is and, and having a mortified teenager going, whoa, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, kind of going in there, which again, I totally agree. Totally coming from a loving place of saying I'm behind you and I'm going with this all the way, but you're right. Like not all of us, uh, you know, we are all built beautifully different from each other and have different levels of comfort with, you know, some of us are okay getting on a microphone and sharing our details of our life. Not everybody is totally cool with that and doesn't need to be blasted out everywhere. So I get that. Yeah, because the thing to keep in mind too, is that your child's gender identity or sexual orientation is just one aspect of their identity, right? Mm -hmm. So your child may be, you know, identifying, let's say as bisexual. Your child may also be painfully shy and introverted and have a lot of um, social anxiety. So they don't necessarily want you to announce that at the family dinner. That, oh, so came out as bisexual. Great. Isn't it wonderful how accepting and loving we all are? (laughs) Right. So it's kind of really looking at the whole child really in front of you of their privacy preferences, their personality type. I mean, I've said, I've definitely worked with teens who, you know, the example that you came up with, are like, Oh my God, my parent went to a P flag meeting and all they did was talk about how amazing and supportive they are and how much they're doing for me and how politically active they are. And I just want them to shut up. <laughs> I just want them to like, bring me to school and not talk about my gender identity. (laughs) Right, right. And then again, you know, that's also, again, coming from a place of fear, right? Because, you know, for the parents that do understand that having the supportive role for their child is a good thing, but don't know, you know, it's like the difference between being a restrictive parent and a permissive parent. There's being the, um, you know, there's being the parent that's, you know, not supportive to all the way on the other end of that spectrum of like overblowing it out of fear of not showing enough support, you know, to their child for, um, you know, for their identity and an orientation, whatever it might end up being. Um, I find it fascinating. I'm just going to throw that out there that you could, um, you could conceivably um, uh, journey with your child going through a gender identity and then also a, a sexual identity. Like those two, you know, those things can um, occur in the lifetime. And so, um, you know, the, the preparation to me, I think is important in seeing that. Um, and I also think that it, it is important, this conversation again, that, um, like you pointed out, you know, there's a lot of people talking about it now, but it's not like a new thing in our culture and society. And so preparation for something like this is important. It's, it's going to cross our paths. I mean, it definitely has, um, you know, if you look at your own family dynamics and, you know, every, everybody has in their own family units, extended, close, whatever, someone on a spectrum that doesn't conveniently line up at one end or the other, 
you know? And, um, and if we look at, you know, the cross section of society that way, we'll realize that this is, this is, uh, this isn't just a topic for just a small niche of parents who may have this issue. It's, this is something for all of us to really become much more informed on. And, and, um, and talking about this with you, I think is, you know, like I said, it's important for, you know, that in, in so many different ways. So I appreciate you taking the time and educating, uh, those of us out here. So, so tell me how important it might be, um, again, because we have such a huge generational gap, you know, my generation, um, you know, I'm older than you, so you're just outside of our ex-gens, but let's just talk about ex-gens or, you know, a lot of them um, that are listening here. You know, how important is it for, you know, maybe our kid is going great, but we might need a, a different level of support um, through this process ourselves. Um, what would you say to that? Yeah. So I think, um, acknowledging that you need some support is awesome. Like that's really fantastic and it should be viewed as a real asset rather than, oh my gosh, I'm failing as a parent because I'm not able to wrap my head around this right away. Um, I think it's so important for you as a parent to reach out to support for yourself, whether it's through your own therapy, if you're talking to a therapist or reaching out to a support group. So um, PFLAG is a really great organization that has chapters across the nation. If there's one near you, I would really encourage you to go to one of those meetings to check that out because PFLAG is an organization um, for parents and family members and friends and loved ones who are having a similar experience. And that can be a place where you can find community and validation and support. Um, thankfully, you know, another asset of social media, uh, this would be another um, avenue where it can be a huge help because whether it's a matter of there's not a PFLAG chapter near you, or maybe you're not feeling comfortable yet going to a meeting in person, you can find online support groups. Like I know on Facebook, there's, there's quite a lot of support specifically for parents of LGBTQ identified children. Um, and there's also, thankfully, more and more knowledge that's out there in terms of books. So I would really encourage parents to, um, at, at the least, you know, get some books, whether you're going to a library or ordering them online, um, you know, read some books to kind of educate yourself on the specific experiences of being a parent to a child who identifies as LGBTQ so that you know that you are not alone. You know that your doubts and fears and questions and uncertainties do not make you a bad parent. And it's also really important to not burden your child with fully bearing the brunt of your emotional difficulties with this. I think there's a fine line to be found in terms of being transparent with your child about hey, I'm a little shocked by this news, or I wasn't expecting this, so I don't fully get it, um, especially if it's a parent who identifies as cisgender and or heterosexual, right? Or, or if it's a parent that identifies as, you know, gay or lesbian or bi, but they're identifying as cisgender. There's, there's an amount that we can't possibly understand as humans if we're not living that same experience. So, so I think acknowledging to your child, hey, I don't fully understand it, but I'm open to learning. And I'm committed to figuring out how to best support you is really, really important rather than putting all your emotional struggles onto your child and making them feel guilty or shamed for telling you that they identify as LGBTQ in some way. If, you know, even if parents don't say that overtly, like, I think you should feel ashamed for what you just told me. Um, if parents, if kids keep hearing about how stressed out their parents are about this, they get the message that, that this is something to be ashamed of or feel yeah. guilty. 
Yeah. And we've, that's been touched on so many times on one broken mom that that's, that's a kid's natural tendency is to internalize that as their fault. Um, and that, that break is, is because of them. They don't, they don't look at, they cannot see our parents as having our, our own crap to deal with. And it's all, um, mirroring back to them as a reflection of that. And that is a, that is a great point to bring up too, because there's also to be something to be said for feeling confident yourself and, and, and developing your own, your own sense of resiliency uh, around this because you are sadly going to be attacked in some capacity or another, and you're going to be judged as the parent in some capacity. We are not out of that yet in culture and society. There's too much of it still going on out there. And, um, and when you are able to get your own kind of shore up your own, um, your own uh, identity, you know, around this and, uh, and feel comfortable that you are supported and that there are other people out there and that you're not wrong, um, then it makes it much more easier to be able to defend yourself as well as your family. And um, you're in your family's decisions and choices from people that are just, they're inherently going to try to shoot an arrow at it, you know, so that's really good. That's good. Cool. Thank you. Well, Sarah, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really do appreciate your time uh, to come out here. And I'm so glad, you know, social media is wonderful. I mean, we ended up connecting this way because um, one of my guests, Jax Anderson, had shared some information about you. And I have had this content list, you know, that of, of all these topics that I plan to talk to. And so you filled in. I was like, perfect. That's a person to talk to. Now, if I'd been smart enough, I would have had you on earlier in June and we could have been talking about this during Pride. Instead, it's timely all times of the year. So I don't feel bad that we're going to get it out there regardless. So again, um, it's a, it's, it's great what you're doing and that the focus that you have for families that are out there now, can families work with you directly anywhere in the United States or do you have to be Connecticut only? Yeah, because I'm a licensed clinical social worker in Connecticut, people have to be, um, living in the state of Connecticut for me to work with them or they have to be able to, they, they could live in surrounding states, but they have to get to my office in Connecticut. So if that's doable, if they're in, let's say, a border state like Massachusetts, then they can come see me and I'd be happy to work with them. Um, you know, I work with people ages 14, 15 and up. So whether it's teens or adults or family members and loved ones. Yep. Okay, cool. And that's one of the things about mental health folks is that, um, you know, therapists can't cross state lines unless they get licensed everywhere for that. So some of them do offer coaching and stuff, but um, all the links that um, Sarah mentioned in today's episode, I'll actually have them in the podcast link. So you mentioned a couple of websites to go to um, your website for more information and your Facebook page will all be connected in there. So you don't have to worry about remembering everybody. There'll be a button you can push at the end of it. So Anyways, Sarah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on today's show and answering the questions. And I appreciate everything that you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Totally. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiquiricone.com. And there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Quirconi, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.